myself, I want to make an announcement for you guys to keep you in the loop. Um, today is the first day that we can officially from stage tell you that we have hired um, a student minister. And so that's going to be coming shortly after April. So that is a big deal to us. That's a big deal to me. And so I'm super excited about that. But this is Colton. Um, he's the one that we're hiring. His fiance, actually, he's up here somewhere in a moment. Um, <laughs> But Colton, this is his fiance, Macy. Um, he is actually from the Newton area, and she's from Topeka. But right now, for the last couple of years, they've been in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and they've been ministering as a worship and youth minister up there. And so we've had conversations, and we wanted to be able to give him time to be able to let his church know that he was going to be leaving them before we put it out there, because we'd hate for people to find things out, you know, in the manner of which... You don't want it to happen. So we've been waiting for that, but wanted to then let you know. So I am excited about him and her both coming. By the time they're here, they'll actually be married. So in the next, like, you know, month and a half, they're getting married and then making the transition. And so this will be a, a year that they remember, I'm sure. Um, but we are excited to have them on board. So just wanted to keep you updated with that. And it's something that you can uh, pray alongside as well. So just keeping you updated with that. But in our sermon series, we've been talking about this idea of helping people find and follow Jesus. And I don't know if you've had conversations with people um, when you're trying to help them know who Jesus is. And you're like, well, how do I kind of help them to understand who he is or what this road is that we need to walk to become a Christian? What does that look like? And maybe you're confident um, and maybe you're like, I don't know, I'm just going to pray and ask God to lead my words. One of the things in a, a class that I took when I was in college was, um, was personal evangelism class. And one of the things that they taught us was something called the Romans Road. And maybe you've heard of that before, but it's a series of verses in the book of Romans that you can use to help someone see this is what God has for our life and what we're living right now. And so I actually want to share with that, share, you, share with you that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 1. Because it's a great tool. In fact, I used it earlier this week as I was talking with someone, just kind of going, here's where we start. And so Romans chapter 1, and in fact, I don't have all these verses memorized in the order and all those kind of things. But what I do have is in Romans chapter 1, I have this verse underlined in stars. And then I also have the next verse that I'm supposed to turn to written in my Bible. So that way, whenever I'm talking to someone, I know exactly where to go to next. And so Romans chapter 1 is where I start. I will tell you this. If you were to Google the Romans Road, you'd probably come up with different ones. There's usually every single Romans Road has about four verses that are all the same, but then some will put some extras in or take some out. And so anyway, ours has about seven that I really love to use. And so this is the one that I like to start with. In Romans chapter 1, uh, verse number 16, it says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. And so I love this verse to start out with because it talks about this gospel, the message of Jesus. I am not ashamed of it because in this message, there is power. That's where salvation comes from. Not the message itself, but from Jesus. But we have to know the message. And so I can be confident about this message because it brings life. And it says for everyone. This message is not just for a few. It said, yes, it was for the Jew and then for the Gentile because throughout the whole Old Testament, God was speaking to his people and hoping that they would be a light to everybody else. But God's message, this salvation message, is for everyone. So we don't need to be ashamed of it. So I always start there. And then we go to chapter 3, verse 23. So that means I have to turn my page. Go into chapter 3, verse 23. And it's a small verse, but it says this. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so every single person who has ever lived has sinned. Like none of us are perfect. God is perfect, but we have chosen to do things the way we want at least once in our life and a lot more than that too. But that's who we are. And then going from that verse, I go to chapter 6, verse 23. Chapter 6, verse 23. And it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we just looked at this verse that said all of us are sinners. And this tells me if I keep going down this path, it will lead me to death. And we're not talking eternal death, but it will, it will guide me to this separation from God. But God has offered me this gift, this eternal life that I cannot earn, but God offers it to me. And so then I go to chapter 5, verse 6. All right, so here we go. We have this, this gift that God has given us. In chapter 5, verse 6, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's an important verse because sometimes we think that we have to clean ourselves up before we come to God. We're like, I, I'm not good enough. I need to make sure that this area is right and all that before I come into this relationship with God. And yet scripture tells us, no, no, that's what God does. He says, even before you were worthy, while you were yet sinning, while you were powerless, God sent Jesus to die for us. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, then I have written down chapter 10, verse 9. So then I move over to chapter 10, verse 9, and seeing that there is this gift for us that Jesus died for us. And so chapter 10, verse 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so here we have this gospel message of that we were sinners, but God has come to give us this gift. And if I choose to believe it, if I choose to believe that, yes, Jesus came to die for my sins, and then I choose to tell people that, confess, that's what we do up here, I believe this. If I choose to believe and confess, then I can have life. That is my response. I get to be saved. And so right next to that, I have chapter 6, verse 4. So I'm believing, I'm confessing. Chapter 6, verse 4. It's the next one that I'm looking at. And so here's what Paul writes in Romans there. It says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And as we choose to be baptized, there is a connection to God. Jesus, he was alive, he died, he rose again. And there is that connection that we have, that we are alive, but we are in our sinful state. We die to that sinful state and we come back going, I am going to live completely for you. There is a connection of life that comes through that. And then the last verse that I look at is chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because after I have found Jesus, that's not the end. And so in chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And so after I have chosen Jesus, I have found him, then I must follow. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. All these sacrifices that were offered up in the Old Testament, now my life becomes a living sacrifice. That everything I do is for the glory of him. The problem is about sacrifices, especially when they're living sacrifices, is they can get off the altar if they want to. And so the question is, will we continue to be that living sacrifice every single day for God? And so that's often where I stop as I'm talking, but specifically with this sermon, that second verse is also very important because it talks about let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that transformed tense is the idea that it becomes a lifestyle, that we keep on going, that it is this long-term repeating thing that happens. And so our lives are transformed as our minds are renewed. That word renew is actually only found twice in the biblical writings, and it means this idea of making new or a change. It's new in a qualitative sense, and so God wants to transform our minds. He wants to renew our minds, and then the effect of that is that our lives would be transformed. Now, it's important as we're talking about this renewing of our mind to understand that that is completely the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not, I'm going to try harder. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, but we have a part to play. We allow ourselves to draw close to God because when we are close to him, that is when we can listen to the things that he wants to teach us. Now, he can get our attention if we're not paying attention, but that hurts a lot more. But as we draw close to him, we open up our minds and our hearts to that which he wants us to know. And so we have a part to play, but God is the main worker. In one of the chapters that I read this week, looking at this topic of following God with our minds, one of the points that the author made was this that Christianity is often referred to as a heart religion. Like we use phrases like, well, give Jesus your heart. You know, give your heart to him. Or are you going to invite Jesus into your heart? Or Jesus is going to give you a new heart. There are verses that tell us to trust God with all of our heart, or we're supposed to guard our heart. In fact, David, after sinning, he asked God, will you create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O oh God? All of this is because our hearts are tied to our desires, our emotions, our passion. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching and all the other disciples are preaching to all the people and they're doing this message, the gospel message of who Jesus is, but then also the fact that you just killed him, but God raised him from the dead. The text says that they were convicted and it says that they were cut to the heart. Like they felt this godly conviction. You know what? When we choose Jesus, when we find him at the point of our conversion, our hearts are satisfied. We are filled with an inner peace that we draw close to God because that is the way that we were created. And yet our hearts are not the only thing that's important as we follow Jesus. In fact, when, when asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because God wants us to use our minds. In fact, listen to some scripture that supports this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, one of the gifts that God gives to us is a chance to understand and to know 
the things of Christ. And I'm not talking about everything, but to be on, on his plan, to understand some things. In fact, some of Jesus' hearers were listening to his teachings, his parables, and they just didn't get it. But to those who desired, to those who were allowing the Spirit to work inside of them, they received this opportunity to connect with his teachings. They began to understand things from God's point of view. And we can too, if we are being led by the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I don't know if you heard, but it talked about making sure that our hearts are set on things above, but it also talked about our minds being set on those things as well. We're supposed to focus on things that are eternal, not just the temporary or earthly things. We're supposed to think about those things. We're supposed to strive for those things. And as we live this way, we will one day get to be with Christ in all of his glory, either when he returns or our life on this earth comes to an end. In the book of Romans, Paul speaks about those who choose not to follow after God. He says, God has made himself available. He has made himself known to everyone. But unfortunately, many choose not to learn about him, even though he's made himself known to us. And therefore, God actually reveals his wrath to those who disbelieve. And so in Romans 1.21, it says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because we talked about God wanting both our hearts and our minds, you also see people here with this darkened heart, with this futile mind. And if you keep reading in this passage, it shows that God is allowing them to live their lives going down paths of wickedness. He's not forcing them to go there, but he's allowing them to make those choices. Because without God's Spirit working within us, we will not have this renewing of our mind that is spoken about in Romans 12. And then we begin to conform to the pattern of this world. We begin to conform to the ways of their thinking and to earthly desires. So what can we do to make sure that we have our minds on the right track? I mean, a while ago we talked about it's the Holy Spirit working inside of us. So what exactly is our part? Well, first, we need to fill our minds with God's Word. We have to fill our minds with God's Word because His Word is full of truth. And not just truth that we want, but truth that we need. In fact, truth about who we are. And we talked about that in our sermon series when we were talking about the battle and this idea of the belt of truth. And when we start believing lies about who we are, whether that's what culture says we are, whether that's what other people say we are, whether things that we begin to believe about ourselves that are not true. And we saw what happens in just the snap of when we begin to believe all those lies. We need to know the truth of who we are. We also have to know the truth of who God is. Because the more that I read his word and the more that I understand him, it's not just a mind knowledge, but my heart goes, I want to live for him because of who he is. And so I have to know that truth. It creates this desire to follow after him. It's found in his word. Truth 
truth about the world and how we should live. And we call it this biblical worldview. And so I know the things that I should do within my family, at work, whenever I come in contact with anyone, when I'm by myself. I live and see everything through this biblical worldview because Scripture teaches me the truth. It's all found in His Word. And we need to fill our minds with truth. Because the world's going to throw all sorts of truths at you. And sometimes they might even sound really good. But we need to use His Word as the filter to find out if it's really truth. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, as Joshua's kind of talking to his people right at the beginning, it says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. We need to keep the word of the law, the words that God has given to us. We need to meditate upon them. And I don't know what you think of with meditation, but one of the things I came across is Christian meditation is not just about emptying your mind, but it's about filling it. Let me meditate. Let me think about God's truth. Let it just take hold of my mind and my life. Because if we want our lives to be transformed, if we want our minds to be renewed, we have to fill it with the truth that comes from God's Word. But the second action that we need to do is we need to guard our minds. We need to guard our minds. And that makes sense. I mean, it's not just putting the good stuff in that's important, but it's also keeping the bad stuff out. And you and I, we get to decide what goes into our minds. And even if something makes, gets into our mind, we get to decide what stays in our mind and what doesn't. And I wonder... Right outside your brain, do you have a good keep-out sign that's posted? It says, bad stuff, you're not allowed in here. Or if you've gotten in, I'm now kicking you out. And honestly, that can be very difficult and challenging in this age that we live in with visual saturation and ever-present social media and constant temptations. And temptation's not just a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the mind as well. And if you think about sin, usually it's here, but back at the beginning... It usually starts out with either a thought or a feeling, one or the other. Sometimes there's this thought that comes into your mind and like, hmm, maybe I should do that. Or sometimes it starts with a feeling just going, wow, in this moment, this is what I feel. Or I, I see someone else feel this. And so then it begins to percolate into that thought. And so it either starts with a thought or a feeling. But if you allow that to take root and it begins to plant, you then have an action. You then choose to act upon it. And that's where usually the sin comes into play. But then if we continue to do that, like, yeah, this is going okay, that's when a habit forms. You know what? Very rarely do people plan to get addicted to a bad habit. But it starts somewhere. In fact, James talks about that in chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. He says, when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire, and they're enticed. And then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so James speaks about this progression of thought to sin to death. And in a recent message I heard, the speaker talked about how the big snowball or the avalanche that causes destruction all starts with one snowflake. We must take seriously the work of guarding our minds from evil and not spend time dwelling on anything that we ought not to. Because what we believe, the things that we focus on, the things that we dwell upon, that affects 
how we behave. In fact, behavior in anyone will not change until the mind does. It has to have a mind change before behavior, behavior does. And so guarding our minds allows the spirit the room he needs to be able to renew it. You know, as I was thinking about this sermon on minds and what we do, you know, what we spend time thinking about, I tried to do this search to find the most up-to-date statistics about pornography because it is so rampant in our culture and it's something that affects our minds. And so the porn industry is making about $16.9 billion each year in the United States alone. 40 million United States adults regularly visit internet pornographic websites. In fact, around 35% of all downloads are pornographic in some way. And it's not just a problem with men. In fact, one out of three porn viewers are women. A statistic says 20% of men and 13% of women admit to accessing porn while they're at work. And the average worker spends about 13 minutes each time on those sites, which averages out to about one hour and 38 minutes a month. Another site kind of had it down. Hey, let's talk about every second. What does this look like? So every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. $3,075 are being spent on pornography on the internet every second. <laughs> 372 people every second are trying or are typing in the world the word adult into a search engine. Or maybe you can back out and look at every day. 37 pornographic videos are being created in the United States. Every day, 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. Every day, 68 million searches related to pornography are generated, and that is 25% of all total searches. On average, the first exposure to porn is 12 years old. Some are older, some are younger, but the average is 12. 71% of teenagers hide online behavior from their parents, and 25% of young adults said pornography was their primary source of sexual education, which is scary. And this sermon's not intended to talk about how pornography affects an individual, or marriages, or kids, or teenagers. That's a sermon for a completely different day. But today, I simply want to point out that we need to guard our minds and not let sin enter into it. And this area of pornography is huge, and I understand that it can be hard because things can pop up. Or you're scrolling along through social media, which then you can click on something else and it leads you to where you shouldn't be. Or someone even texts you a video or a photo that you weren't expecting. You do not have to go out and search for it. It's found in books and musics and other things that sometimes we can justify, well, this is okay because it doesn't go however far it is, but we need to look through the lens of God's word. If we want to be transformed, if we want to live our lives fully after Jesus in every single area, then we must take this fight for our minds seriously. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, we demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You and I, we are in a battle, and one of the battlefields is in our mind, and so we should take every thought captive. We should make sure that it follows under that which God wants us to think about and tell certain things to keep out, or if it's gotten in there, to get out. 
what we dwell on truly does affect us. And so Paul even says, this is what you ought to think about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Those are the things that we ought to be thinking about. Those are the things that we ought to be caring about, living according to. And so let's fill our minds with God's word and let's guard our minds against any type of evil that wants to come in and allow God to transform us. This idea about renewing our minds, it's not just about facts. It should, relieve, it should lead to a life that is renewed as well. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, Jesus is constantly talking to the Pharisees because they had the mind part down. Like they were studying, they were trying to follow all these things, except their heart wasn't in it. It was, hey, look at me, and I'm trying to do this all according to the mind. And sometimes our culture is the opposite, that it's all heart and no mind. And we should desire intellectual and affectional love for God. That's where it all comes together in this relationship with him. You know, at the back, or at the beginning, I talked about this idea of the Romans road. And I kind of wonder, as I just talked through that, and certain verses were there, do you know where you're at on that path? Like, if you were looking at it, would you look at it and go, right now, I am stuck in sin? Even though I maybe not use those words, but like, I haven't chosen Jesus. Even if you feel like, eh, maybe everything's okay, would you say, this is the part of the path that I'm on right now? Or would you be able to sit there and go, I know that I have been saved? Let me ask this. Have you believed that Jesus came even while you were a sinner? Not waiting for you to fix yourself up first, but he came to save you. Have you believed that? Have you confessed that? Have you been baptized? Let me ask this. Are you living as a living sacrifice right now? Or would you say more days than not, you're not really on the altar and you need to get back on? If you look at your life, would you be able to go, I'm being transformed. Like the Spirit is working in me. He is transforming me. I'm not conforming to this world. I am having this renewal of my mind. I have some really good news for every single one of us, especially because this type of sermon can sometimes be convicting if we start thinking about some of the things that we've allowed to dwell on or that we've let into our minds. One more verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is a great one. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Is there Christian conviction? Yes. God will come alongside and say, hey, I want you to stop doing this. Oh, but there's no condemnation. He doesn't shame us when we mess up. He doesn't love you any less. He doesn't say, I am not sure I want to be with you for eternity. Instead, he wants us to draw close to him so that he can change us. And his desire to change us isn't selfishness on his part, but it's so that you and I can have life to the full. It's just another way that he says, I love you. That kind of love. A God who cares for us like that. He is the one that I want to build my life upon. And many of you have. But some of you still need to. And if today is the day that you respond to the spirits working inside of you, and you say, I fully want to live for the one who has saved me, then during this next song, I encourage you to make your way to one of the decision points because they want to come alongside of you. Or maybe there's prayer that you need. Maybe something that was said today, kind of God's been working on you. Maybe it has nothing to do with the sermon. There's just things in life going on that you don't want to have to carry by yourself. And we want to come alongside of you and pray. And so that's what the decision points are there for as well. But as you and I, as we live, let's live for the one 
who is perfect. Let's live for the only one who is holy, the only one that is worthy and who can fill our hearts and our minds with the truth that we need. Let's draw close to him and let him transform us by the renewing of our minds. Let's stand as we sing this morning.